The fourth and final topic in this discussion between myself, Oliver Taplin, and Josh Billings is the question, is tragedy still alive? Certainly the death of tragedy has been repeatedly announced. Uh, Nietzsche even thought that it was killed off by Euripides and Socrates back in the 5th century BC. Well, there's no doubt that the word tragedy is still alive, but it is merged for our purposes at least that the core is applied to, if you like, an art form to a shaped narrative, to something that is presented under certain circumstances to a public um, and whose essence somehow lies in the way in which it is crafted. So the daily news, the chaos, the, the randomness, the inexplicability of the tragedies that we read about in the newspaper, uh, we're going to have to put on one side. They're not really what we're talking about today. But are we talking, I wonder, only about theatre? Well, we may not be. If you look at novels or films, you can often find works that call themselves tragedies, that are related to tragedies, and, and that have major affinities with it. In fact, if, if you look at the classics, classical scholars often argue that Greek tragedies are fundamentally derived from epic, which is a, a narrative form and, and not a dramatic form. As far as, as novels go, when you think of tragedy, you normally think of, of the great 19th century novels, George Eliot, Thomas Hardy, Henry James in English, Flaubert in French, Tolstoy and Dostoevsky in Russian. And those works do seem related to tragedy, something like the brothers Karamazov or the mayor of Casterbridge. They describe humans dealing with powerful and destructive forces beyond their control. And, and they sometimes actually... Uh explicitly refer to Greek tragedy, don't they? Quite often. There, there are references to Greek tragedy all throughout George Eliot's works, and Henry James uses the word tragic on practically every page of some of his books. And, in, and you, could also, you could argue that the novel has produced more and, and more lasting tragic stories over the last 200 years. The novel today is, is the mass media that tragedy was for the Greeks and for the Renaissance as well. But I would say that despite those, those affinities, there's a, an important difference, and it is that novels take us into the inner worlds of their characters. They show us consciousness. They, they, they make the decision-making an internal act, whereas theater shows us actions. And so there's, in some ways, a, a distance that takes place in the theater between the audience and the character that does not so much exist in narrative forms where you can enter the character's head. And I think that makes the experience of tragedy on stage a more reflective one, although perhaps a less emotional one. You don't have sentimental tragedies in the way that you have sentimental novels, or if you do, they haven't survived as well. Right, but then what about film? Well, film, film in, in some ways must obviously be able to be tragedy because we have films of theatrical tragedies, Laurence Olivier's Hamlet or Orson Welles's Macbeth and Othello or the, the free adaptations of Akira Kurosawa or Pier Pasolini. And then you could also say that film has that same external focus, that it generally does not take us into people's consciousness and that it shows us more their actions than their than their thoughts. And lots of films have elements of tragedy in them. 
film noir is a great example, or, or the character dramas of Ingmar Bergman. But I'd, I'd also want to see a difference between film and, and theater in that something about film is, is capacious. It, it takes in so much more of, of life than, than any theatrical experience does. It represents more variety and it does so more realistically. So film to me perhaps inclines more towards epic than towards, towards tragedy. There's something about the intensity of the physical presence of an actor and the, the, the focus that a staging creates that makes the effect of tragedy in the theater, for me at least, different and, and stronger. Y yes, although I, I was wondering there, sometimes you seem to be making film sound stronger, sometimes you're making theater sound stronger. I think, as you say, there's no doubt that they're siblings, that they, they go closely together, film and, and theater. But at the same time as being siblings, because they they are rivals, uh, I was rather fascinated. If you go into the metro in Moscow, you'll find that the posters for the theatre are considerably more conspicuous and more numerous than the posters for film. You go down to the, into the tube in London; it's the other way round. That it's the film posters that dominate. The theatre posters have to take second place. So, but I think, as you say, that the. the you know, you might want to diminish the differences between the two, but there is something difficult to put your finger on, which lies not in the subject, nor in the emotion, nor in the intensity, where sometimes you seem to be saying film is more intense, sometimes theatre more intense, but something to do with physical presence, with physicality. There in the theatre are the actors' physical bodies, which have a solidity, have a sweat, um, have a grunt about them. These actors who are, they're not real, uh, they're not the, the real thing, they are impersonating, they're pretending, uh, but they, they do so in a way that is, when it's good, extraordinarily persuasive. And the persuasiveness lies somehow in, in how strong and how beautiful their portrayal uh, of the part is. And it produces a physical as well as a mental engagement from the audience. And so I, I do think that the, the vicarious experience of the emotion and thought, which I see as characteristic of tragedy, does also uh, get engaged in, in cinema, but um, it's different. There's something crucially different uh, when it's done in the presence of the sufferer. Even though Oedipus has not really plunged his eyes out, uh, even though um, Hamlet is not really poisoned by the uh, by the sword, there's something about the actual physical presence in the same space in the same time uh, that gives it a different quality from from cinema. Yeah, we fe we feel that extra dimension of presence in the theater very powerfully, even though, of course, what we see in front of us is much less realistic than what we see in front of us. In a film, a film can show us life as as the eye perceives it, but a theater shows us something that is in that in that focus in in being pared down to a theatrical set and and to a a three dimensional represented experience. And, and I, I would very much want to say that theater in the last hundred years, in the last hundred and twenty years, has gone on producing tragedy, has gone on producing new tragedy. That the uh, tragedy is very far from dead. And, and I don't just mean Ibsen and, and Chekhov, or, or just, I say just, you know, these are 
great playwrights under any canon. And so I would say the same for O'Neill and Miller. But, but more recently than that, there is a modern metamorphosis of tragedy within our own times. There is perhaps, though, something crucially different in that tragedy of our times uh, is increasingly what I would call interrogative. Mm. It's more questioning, it's l there's less confidence, there's less, there's no absolute, there are no accepted political values, accepted moral values, how absolute is religion, how secure is knowledge, how secure is, is language and meaning, how secure is our knowledge of other people, mm -hmm. uh, how secure is our knowledge of ourselves. Tragedy seems to be opening these things up, opening these the, the, the can of worms of uncertainty and relativity up. Uh -huh. And one of, the, one of the things that it's opening up most of all is tragedy itself. It's opening up the models that, that we're used to understanding tragedy on stage. Samuel Beckett wrote once that there's nothing more grotesque than the tragic. And that, that was not to say that his plays are not grotesque or they're not tragic. It's that there's some interrogation of the tragic form going on in them, and that often brings with it an, a kind of ironic distance, a way that tragedy and reflection on tragedy, or tragedy and, and ironizing tragedy, come together. So Beckett's works, for example, are often quite comic, and they can be funny even in the moment, perhaps, that, that, that they show people in the greatest and, and the most utterly unbearable circumstances. I suppose uh, laughter has never been a fatal enemy of tragedy. I mean, tragedy, there's a chiaroscuro, there's a darkness and light um, that one can see most obviously in Shakespeare, but that, uh, so, uh, similarly in Beckett. If you think of the, uh, the gravedigger in Hamlet or, or the doorkeeper in Macbeth, I mean, the, the, these are very funny scenes. They can be played for a some really good laughs. At the same time, they're clearly not there just to provide comic relief, uh, just just for laughs. They're there because they actually darken the surrounding uh, tragedy um, and um, show that laughter and weeping, if you like, are, are not as far apart in, in our human experience as we might think. And you could say the same of Samuel Beckett's Waiting for Godot or, or Endgame. In, in Godot, you, you, you see these two tramps who spend the whole time on stage, and they're always trying to leave the stage, and, and they, just, they just can't, they can't do it somehow. Let's, let's be going, they said. Yep. And, and, and so they find themselves in, in, in a dilemma that is both incredibly funny and utterly terrifying. Being trapped in a in a world that that won't ever let you assert your own free will. I mean, the, the what you call the comedy is not the end, not the end in itself, is it? Not at all. Lots of people like to introduce the the term tragicomedy for works of Shakespeare or for works of Beckett or even for late works of Euripides, and I don't think we we need that term at all because tragedy. In, it's a cop-out term, really. It is. That we don't need to invent a term to deal with tragicomedy when tragedy is always able, has always been able, to integrate elements of comedy without becoming comic, without, without resolving in the way that, that we expect 
comedies to resolve. And Beckett is a great example. Brecht is also a great example of, yeah. of, of, a, of an author who uses comic elements to heighten the sense of, of despair, the, the, the real sense of something being wrong. Beckett and Brecht are now both of a previous generation. What would you say to somebody who said that, well, all right, I'll allow you Beckett and Brecht, but tragedy died with them? Well, I would say that Harold Pinter, who re recently died, is has written works that are undeniably tragic. They're tragic in a much more visceral and, and, and violent way than Beckett's tragedies, but they, they have some of the same alternation of extreme comedy and absolute tragedy. They, they, they similarly bring us to places that we don't go in everyday life and, and that are really the darkest parts of, of human existence. And they integrate, they integrate also the lighter parts, but I don't think that diminishes the darkness of Beckett or Pinter. If anything, I think it makes the darkness even darker. And Shakespeare is, is the master of that. I suppose that the strength somehow is that they don't only take us to the edge of the abyss. They don't only take us to the, to the dark, but they take us strongly to it. Mm -hmm. I mean, perhaps all sorts of things can give us a glimpse of you know, the horror, the horror. Mm -hmm. But, but uh, the, these playwrights, partly through the physicality of the, of the theater, take the vicarious experience in a way that is hugely powerful and strong. Uh, and perhaps here we're, we're arriving at some kind of tentative uh, conclusion. I mean, it seems to be have emerged from all of our four dialogues that the the defining mark of tragedy is that it takes us to to parts of human experience that other art forms can't reach. That uh, it's the only it's the art form or the art form above all others that that take us fully into the the otherwise unfaceable and holds our hand as as we get there. By the way, it represents these parts of our existence. It allows us both to watch them and to enjoy them and to learn from them through the degree to which they're transformed into, into art. Yes, I, I can remember, I heard Peter Sellers, you know, the great American director, Peter Sellers, saying that what tragedy does is give a voice to those who are otherwise silent, to those who otherwise are unheard. Mm -hmm. And it also gives to parts of human experience that otherwise would reduce us to silence. It gives those parts of experience a voice. It's our own silence that it that it gives a voice to, as well as the silence of people who are, are more objectively voiceless. Yes, so tragedy takes us into the unfair, the disturbing, the, the uncontrollable, but it doesn't just say, well, there you are, human life, there it is, chaotic, cacophonous, unfair. And it also doesn't just say, this is how you, it doesn't tell you, this is how to avoid it, mm. either. It, it doesn't give you a lesson that you can necessarily take away. No, but it, what it does do is give, uh, at least I would say, some kind of strength. It says be resilient. Mm -hmm. Life is full of suffering, but that is not a reason for being passive. For just saying, in that case, uh, I will lie down and let life roll over me. And the tragedy somehow gives more depth to our lives and gives us more strength to, to live our thoughts with, with feeling. Mm -hmm. And that is one way of saying that it helps us to live life to the full.